Welcome to the Transparency Project Radio on the Inside Lens Network, with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides and suspicious deaths. If you have a question or comment for today's guest, please call in at 646-478-0982. That's 646-478-0982. My name is Denny Griffin, and my co-host is Delilah Jones of ImaginedPublicity.com. Hi, Delilah. Hey, Denny. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank you. Great. Well, I just want to remind listeners briefly that the Inside Lens Network has a ton of shows, probably close to 700 by now. Um, We were doing podcasting before podcasting was cool, and there are a lot of different series on a lot of different um, topics. It's not all crime related. There was, we had at one point, you had a writing um, series. I can't remember the name of it right now off the top of my head. And then you also had a series of author interviews, a series on mob topics. Um, so there's a lot to listen to. So I really encourage re- uh, listeners to Uh, search through some of the old stuff because we had so many wonderful guests, wonderful experts, um, many of them that you would know. So take time and check it all out. Yes, it's uh, the 700 number is kind of scary when I think we go back that far. Uh, But yes, there's there's a lot of good programming and a lot of great shows we did. So uh, I agree with Delilah. It's well worth your time to research a little bit and see if there's anything there you might be interested in. A brutal murder has haunted a Bellingham family and baffled state police investigators in Massachusetts for almost 40 years. A teenage girl trying to get home was found murdered on the side of the road. Now, Teresa Corley's family is renewing its search for justice for the unimaginable violence that took her life. On Tuesday, December 5, 1978, Corley was a vibrant 19-year-old woman working hard while attending Holliston Junior College with the intention of eventually becoming a pediatrician. But that night, Corley had just one thing on her mind, getting home. She never got there. And three days later, her body was found in a ditch on the side of Route 495, not far from where the Bellingham, Milford, and Medway city limits converge. Almost 40 years later, her family is still trying to find out why. Joining us is Teresa's sister, Jerry Hood, to discuss Teresa's case. Jerry, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, Before we get started into the details of the investigation, could you tell us a little bit about your sister and what was going on in her life uh, prior to the murder? Well, like you said, she was was studying to be a medical assistant um, and eventually wanting to go on in further education. But what route that would have taken, we'll we'll never know. Uh, She was dating. She had a boyfriend at the time by the name of Rick, fairly new guy, Um, family never met him. Prior to that, she had another boyfriend by the name of John, and again, we never met him. But she was a typical teenager um, trying to get herself through school because she was paying for the education herself, um, working her way through college, and ultimately just trying to be a teenager. 
with some pretty, you know, set goals in life. Um, after, <clears throat> after her body was discovered, what police agency or agencies got involved in the investigation? Well, right afterwards, um, it was initially the Bellingham Police Department. A call was made into the police department about a body being on the side of 495. Uh, an unknown person, or the, the man calling himself John Burlington, said he was driving home to Connecticut, saw a body when he pulled over to the side of the road. At the same time, a man was going into the police station, a, a young man from Bellingham, asking if it was her body. There was, there was no way he should have known that there was a body on the side of the road because the call never went out over over the police dispatch. It was a private call to a private line. Initially, it was Bellingham investigating, and as soon as you know we reported her missing, it was Bellingham and then the Franklin Police Department. Soon after that, the Massachusetts State Police, and I guess at one point even the FBI, because she was found along a highway and not sure if they were trying to see if her case could have been involved in other potential, you know, cases where there were, where young women were found along four night, you know, just major highways throughout Massachusetts. So it, in the early stages, there were three uh, Massachusetts police agencies involved and possibly if you want to, uh, if the FBI, uh, that would have been four law enforcement Correct. agencies Right. Um, tell us what you can remember about the initial investigation. How how was it? Who was interviewed? You know, what did you think of what happened as far as the initial investigation went? From what I can see from my own research is the, initially they, of course, tracked down Teresa's friends, asked her, you know, what had happened that night, what had happened prior to. Uh, there were names given to them. Eventually, they found out that she was brought to an apartment in Franklin, Mass., where you know a group of guys brought her there, intentions unknown, whether to con- continue on with the party. Those names um, were investigated. And basically, it was initially, um, you know, the whole group of people that kind of hung around together at that time frame were initially questioned. Uh, over the years, that kind of um, kind of seemed to be the, just their their main focus. Um, were you satisfied, or are you satisfied now, looking back, with with how the police investigation started and how it progressed? Uh, the, do you think everything was done that could have been done? We don't, only because over the years, what has happened is. Uh, there was always a rumor that Teresa's case was interfered with in some way, either more than likely at the local level. And we're not exactly sure what has happened or what happened at the local level. So in that sense, we're not satisfied in feeling that we've gotten a true investigation and we're not satisfied that we've gotten the true story of what happened to her and why this investigation, which many you know, while many being three private investigators have told me that this case is solvable. And here we uh, are 40 years later. <laughs> yeah, still on. So, so <clears throat> excuse me, the status of the case today is what, open and active? Is it? As far as I know, it's, it's open and active. What happened um, in December, we 
we were told that they were able to obtain a complete DNA profile of an unknown male that would be entered into CODIS. That evolved into us being told, we're very sorry, there was a mistake made um, by a senior assistant district attorney. That sample could not be entered into CODIS. But the good news is, is we have a YSTR profile that was obtained from Teresa's genes. So as far as I know and as far as I'm thinking, this is still an open, active case. They're telling me it's an open case. They don't use the word inactive or active. I call on average about every couple of weeks to find out some status. As of the 6th of April, the DA's office with the state state police trooper, I'm assuming, they don't give a lot of detail. Um, we're going to meet with the crime lab to see what could be done with that physical evidence. I've been waiting to know if even that meeting took place and what, what the next step would be. When we did sit down with the new assistant district attorney, we were told that they would continue to conduct interviews and re-interview because now we have a whole new investigative, investigative team, so to speak. Uh, there have been many investigators involved in the case over the years. And then the case file changes hands. And then you're waiting a period of time for the new people assigned to come up to speed and review the case files. And by the time they review everything, you, you know, you're afraid that's going to get passed on to another investigator. And so then you're starting all over again. The cycle starts again. Uh, Jerry, who are you still dealing with three different police agencies or has one of them kind of taken the lead or how does that stand? Well, it's the Norfolk. Whenever I inquire about the case, they refer me back to the Norfolk County DA's office. Um, Bellingham has a small role in it. If people should come forward, go into the Bellingham Police Department, I'm hopeful that they pass on whatever information they get to the Norfolk County District Attorney's Office. Franklin has kind of always been just in the background. My initial inquiries to Franklin didn't yield much, um, even though the major part of the crime occurred in Franklin. They haven't really had much to say, but I have to say there was a former police chief who was very supportive Franklin was actually the very first agency to post something on their Facebook page regarding the case. Now, do you have a specific contact at the uh, DA's office, or do you just deal with well, anybody? What they do is, no, what they do is they assign you a person that they're calling an advocate. Uh, I don't find, unfortunately, uh, she's a very nice woman. She listens to my concerns and questions, but then passes those off to, you know, the assistant district attorney, um, my questions. She, she can't always get back to me in a timely manner. Like I said, it's an average of two weeks to have a question answered. I don't feel it's a true advocacy um, through that office. Uh, she just is a person uh, that's a middle person. So I'm not, I guess, bothering the detectives. Is, I don't feel I have anybody any advocating for me at the state level. There's... there's in, in my in my own research, I've contacted um, the Massachusetts Office of Victims Assistance. There's there's nothing within those departments that can help families navigate this this course. This you know this the whole judicial system. There's there's nothing. Uh, you mentioned advocacy. I was just thinking um, there are outside agencies, for example, and. Uh, 
I was trying to gather some information on resources for survivors, and I found two or three agencies that will advocate for the victim if, if they're not getting a, a fair shake or what they think is a fair shake um, through through whatever system their particular state or jurisdiction has. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, would you consider being with one of those outside organizations to see if they could be of any help to you? Yeah, I would absolutely do that. And, and the only reason being is I, there just is no open communication between the law enforcement agency and family. I can truly understand maybe in the initial stages of a case that's maybe, you know, few months old, a couple of years old, the investigators want to keep things close to them. They, they, don't, they don't want that information out there for everybody. Teresa's case is going on 40 years. There is really, I can't see any reason not to, to be a little bit more communicative, communicative with the family and letting them know what's going on. Yeah, and I, uh, you know, I can, this victim's advocate that has been assigned uh, that you should deal with when you, when you call for information. Um, I can understand, I guess, the, the logic behind that, uh, you know, from the trying to save the police from being bothered or whatever. Right. Uh, Right. But the family, when you look at it from the family side of the coin, you want answers and results. Correct. And and it, it's, it, it definitely is very frustrating when you don't seem to get anywhere. And you mentioned uh, that the state police, the mass state police are involved. Uh, wasn't there something fairly recent about the the boss of the state police getting in on a cold case solved or something that well it just so happened that um the colonel of the state police uh her name is um carrie gilpin her sister was murdered in the 1980s and just recently there was an arrest in that case she became the colonel within a few no within a few months there they announced that um her sister they brought you know, somebody up from North Carolina, the suspect up from North Carolina. Um, and he was arrested for the murder of Tracy Gilpin. So I'm sure there are some people so that at gave least a, that, that are Yeah, right. Concerned. Well, that gave a little spark because she actually did say that she, you know, has has hoped that other unresolved cases in Massachusetts will, will soon see the same justice. Um, so I have a lot of faith. In that, I, I, you know, I actually actually did mess, message her a couple of times and to try to find out, okay, what's what's the next step then for the rest of us, you know, for the the rest of the families, what are we going to do next? And but I haven't heard back. Jerry, how old was uh, that case? Was it was it pretty old as well? That was pretty old as well. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was a, I think it was from 1984. Okay, the mid 1980s. So it was a fairly old case, over 20, 20 years or so. And um, as far as I know, I don't don't know what kind of evidence they had other than statements made. But in Teresa's case, they've isolated a a YSTR profile. Um, I'm not really sure. I haven't gotten, I've asked questions, you know, can it be put in for Parabon testing? Can we 
you know, they, they told us at our last meeting that they were going to rerun samples obtained from suspects to see if they match. Still haven't heard anything back from that, and that was back in February. And so you don't know so, if they, they're doing these things that they're telling you that they're doing. You don't know if they truly are following up. And the fear is you don't know if they're following up. So is another 10, 20 years going to pass? And, and then you're back to square one again. Would Would you like, we're going to have a, a representative from uh, Parabon Labs on the show next week, be the, the uh, 24th. Um, I know you might have a work uh, yeah, I do conflict there and not be able. Yeah. Would you like Delilah to ask that question for you about sure. that DNA? Yeah, sure. That would be great. Great. I think, you know, Denny, I think it might be a good idea for that particular show if maybe we can put the word out there for anyone who has questions to email the questions ahead of time. Sure. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, that way that way we're covering we're covering the the topic the way that the listeners want to want to hear that you know maybe we can get some answers that are specific or or general in nature. Um what email address would be good for those questions to come through? Uh probably uh, Denny, D E N N Y at Dennis N Griffin dot B I Z Denny okay. at Dennis and Griffin dot biz. And, uh, in the subject line, uh, just put the uh, DNA or nano labs or Parabon labs. But, uh, we'll make sure it comes to my attention. Very good. We will get word out there for the next week and, um, get some questions lined up. Sure. Great idea. Excellent. Um, okay, so you say, and obviously over a 40-year period, there have been various investigators assigned, and that each time there's a new detective or team of detectives assigned to the case, uh, they have to then, uh, what's the term, get up to speed, and they have to review the file and by the time that gets done, uh, there may be yet another, you know, they might be transferred or retire. And then you have uh, yet another set of detectives and go through the same rigmarole with uh, getting right. up to speed. Uh, I, I I just want to throw out for discussion here that I have a case I'm working on. It's not, uh, it's only 11 years old, but uh, going through the same thing with the, uh, I think, this one's on the third or fourth uh, lead detective or detective being assigned. And I have examined this file and, uh, and done my own investigation over eight years. And in this particular case, there really is not much to get up to speed on. I mean, it's a matter of starting 11 years later to interview the last known persons to have seen the deceased. Uh, that's kind of investigation 101, but it's right. never been done in this case. So it's it's very frustrating. So when I hear that, you know, the new newest detective come on, he's got to get up to speed, and it's been now four months 
since he was assigned the case and he still hasn't conducted an interview. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of uh, confidence or, you know, for the future when I hear that, that oh, right. it's time to get up to speed. Um, right. With with your sister's case, maybe you see it differently, but do you do you feel that they should be able to start work on the case fairly quickly when they get assigned, or do you think it takes them months and months to uh, to review? Well, part of it is, is the trust in the system. Uh, even though everything we've, we've gone through, I'm trusting that they're telling me the truth. You know, and, and that's on them. But what happened was, it seemed like at a very pivotal moment, very pivotal meaning, we were told they had a complete DNA profile. And at the same meeting, the ADA that was handling the case said, oh, and by the way, I'm transferring to another office right at that moment. But we wanted to assure you, he said, this sample is going to go into CODIS. And so, of course, the hope was, oh, my God, they, they actually have a sample and we can potentially get a, get a suspect um, named finally after all these years. And then time passed. And they they lagged on on telling us who the who the new um, you know ADA sign would be. When they told us that, the next week they were telling us, "Oh, sorry, he's decided to leave for private practice." Oh no, wait! Now we have an, another ADA assigned to your sister's case. <laughs> so, but it was a, it seemed to us like a pivotal moment, and once again the ball is being dropped on Teresa's case, and it's it's and wrong. You s- you said that then uh, the one statement of the one ADA was contradicted later on, so no, he made a mistake. Correct. Correct. And then we were brought into a meeting with, um, you know, another first assistant DA and with the advocate and the, and the newly assigned ADA, and they said, we regret to tell you, we're sorry, but the ADA made a mistake in telling you that sample could go into CODIS. And my How sister does Diana, such a thing happen? Correct, correct. How does a mistake to that degree happen? How? And they they yeah. cannot answer that. <laughs> they can't. We, we're just sorry we made a mistake. So at that point, you would, you would feel as a family that they're now going to do everything within their power to help you and and to. Take the sample that they have. Now, I asked about YSTR testing. Can it go into Parabon? No, but the whole Parabon diagram shows that they take an STR profile and put it into their system, and that's how they get, you know, the the look of a suspect. You know, just looking at the diagrams. And, you know, YSTR profile is, is what's used if there are multiple suspects to break down and figure out, you know, the most likely suspect. Uh, and then they say they're going to test, retest the, the DNA that they have from suspects. But you, then you have no way of knowing if they're actually doing these things. So then my family becomes suspicious because the case isn't moving. What's being hidden from us? So that's when the paranoia sets in for families. Why aren't they moving forward with this? Why, you know, what are they hiding from us? And, then and it seems amazing. like such a simple thing to do. It just seems Correct. like a simple thing to do. You you have this, you put it here, and we get this result. I mean, Correct. It's, it's simple. Correct. 
But yet, you know, I'm sure processes take time. I am sure. But the but the the fear is you you give them all the time that they need and you don't follow up and you don't call. And then you're going to find that 10, 20 years has passed once again. That's the problem. And it's, it's, um, it's I, I found in, in dealing, yeah, it is. And, and dealing with families in, in similar situations, not all 40 years and so on, but of the frustration of trying to get answers and time keeps going by. And eventually a lot of families just get beaten down. I mean, right. how many phone exactly. calls can you make, you right. know, yeah, to the DA or the police department, right. whatever, whatever you're dealing with and how many requests can you send? And, and how, right. you know, and not and only that, with, Denny, it, it's the fear. It's the fear that when you send, I, I have sent through Muckrock, I've sent requests again for the, through, for the freedom of information act to get, basic things, an autopsy report that initially I was told I could have. Uh, and then I got a letter in the mail with citing legal statutes as to why I can't have them. But then the fear sets in that because you're now going, trying to go down a different avenue, they're not going to work on the case. That's a fear. And then you have no way, we have no way now of accessing that STR profile. I have a private investigator that would more than likely take that YSTR and, and help me to get it processed. I'm not going to get that out of the hands of the state police or the, the crime lab at this point. But but the, the uh, but the issue is why not? Why not at this? I don't I don't see somebody going to prison at this stage. If if that's their fear is that they can't take this case to trial, then hand over to hand it all over to the family. Yeah, it, it's uh, I'm trying to. Th- think what at this stage of the game you know again with this 40 year time frame that's elapsed what harm would the autopsy stuff do i'm just trying to figure right uh, you know what What harm would it be to let us just have the autopsy report um and that's more or less because we feel that we did have one at one point. My sister and I feel that we, we read an autopsy report. And it's more like validation that we, we know our information is correct in our own heads. I asked for the initially for the initial Bellingham police reports, just, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the report of the crime. I'm denied that I can't have the autopsy report. Uh, so it's, and I haven't asked for a lot from the file. Some of it, you know, is to know that they have that information, that they actually do have it as proof. I just want proof that they're telling me the truth. Yeah, because your your confidence in the system is obviously a little bit shaky at this. Oh yeah. At at this point, um, and it would be nice to be reassured that right. You know that you're you don't have to have those fears that they're misplaced. So right. Uh, I, I don't well, really know. Well, it's just know. the one issue now, too. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was just wondering: is there an appeals process? In other words, when they—I uh, don't know what the Massachusetts has this or not—but some some method that you can uh, appeal their decision not to release the information. Yes. Yeah, so um, it goes to the. It can go to a next level. It's the Secretary of, of Records. 
So when I've already filed an appeal with the Secretary of Records, they've gotten back to me with, you know, a couple of follow-up questions, and I, you know, submitted as to why I wanted the information. Should I get denied again, I can then appeal again one more time to the Attorney General's office. But again, one of the biggest issues is, is that they can, they can reject your appeal, but they're coming back with legal statutes as to why your appeal is being rejected. And even for families, they don't break it down enough for people at, at, at a basic level of understanding. I asked the advocate that was assigned to me through the DA's office. I said, I get this letter in the mail with the statutes. I don't know what it means. And she was going to call me back with perhaps setting up a conference call with their legal department. And again, that didn't take place. Uh, and I'm still then waiting. Again, it's, I'm it's, still it's, waiting for that end, for that yeah, you know yeah. meeting. So yeah, and that's now going on almost two weeks. So and so that, then again, their, you can't rely department. on right. not <clears throat> right. It's it is their legal department. But I would trust that they would break it down to me as to specifically why I cannot have Teresa's autopsy report, let's say. And when they sent me the first letter, it was a case of LeBlanc versus the Commonwealth. And when I looked up LeBlanc versus the Commonwealth, what I read was that it was a botched autopsy. They autopsied the wrong person. And I'm saying, okay, how does that speak to my sister's case? So what is a family member to think when you get something like that in the mail? <laughs> and it, and, and it, it, it goes, it just goes beyond ridiculous. Like, you know, I don't think they botched Teresa's autopsy, but they're not telling me why they would not give me the autopsy report after saying we could have it. And it goes to, it yeah, goes yeah. to the thing where it, Every time something like this happens, you lose faith in the system. Correct. And, and, it, and then you start questioning, like you said earlier, what else Intense. are they hiding? Why right. are, they hiding are they hiding these things? Right. What's, right. what's behind it? What is there a cover-up? Is there right. just Gee, what have, something what they messed have, up? Right. Right. And if they messed up, okay. They messed up. Let the truth be known. Get it out there. Because, you know, the, the rumor throughout town is that it was a police cover-up from the beginning. That's the rumor. That's, you know, as soon as I started my, my Facebook page, I had two, three people. You know, it was the cop's son that did it. You know, it was this one. You know, there, there's all kinds of talk about cover-ups. But you know what? If the DA's office has not found that, come right out and tell us. We've found no evidence of any type of cover-up. Exactly. Uh, well, and I think that's an important point is families like yours can deal with the truth as as correct. ugly as it might be and as painful correct. as it might be. You can deal with the truth a lot you easier can, because than you then can you, deal right. with nothing coming out, no answers whatsoever. Right. Because then you can move on. Uh, and, you know, in, in small things like when I've, when I've asked you to get the, the DNA from the truck driver, oh, no, his story checked out. He, he wasn't really a suspect. Well, how do we know that was Teresa walking up the road? And so now that truck driver is dead, so you don't have something to compare. So it's all these small little, little things that, you know, you, you can see where things were missed along the way. Own up to it. 
Exactly. That's well, and, yeah. and the, right. thing, the <clears throat> truth of the matter is, is as long as cases like yours go on 40 years, I mean, that's ridiculous to not Correct. have any any answers whatsoever. Right. And then you, you start losing evidence. You start losing people and witnesses and all of that. So, right. again, you, you have to gather up everything you can gather up and, and archive it, I guess. I mean, right. I think this is something maybe even someone who is uh, a brand new victim that has just had an experience that they should be taught. Keep everything. Correct. Keep it all. Right from the because beginning. You, right. And as keep a family, on it. are your best investigator. Well, that is not, you know, not I'm, I'm not seen as a positive investigator, let me tell you. Uh, yeah. I don't know what their opinion is of me in a way, um, but I do feel like I'm just a, a pain in their butt. And I do have, I think I do have information that if they were willing to look at it could be helpful. And I've forwarded whatever I can to them. Not sure if they're taking in as valid information or not, because sometimes I think somebody with information will reach out to a family rather than reaching out to law enforcement. And if you're working in conjunction with that with law enforcement, you know, you're you're on the giving end and giving end and giving end and they need to reciprocate and give you something back for all of that you have done. Uh with do something with the information. Don't just let it sit there for the next investigator to come up to speed. Well, I almost get the the feeling that anything that I have given to them they discounted like they've, you know, they've they've tossed it aside. Uh, I, I had a man come forward in 2012. He he made a statement to the Bellingham police. I'm not even sure if they even followed up with that that man. Uh, he named names of people he really felt, and and he was told were involved in my sister's murder. I don't even know if they followed up with him yet. And this is now three years, you know. Three years from the time I got that information. That's a travesty. It really right. is. Right. So uh, I hate to keep referring back to this case I'm working on, but it, the similarities, I, I can't help but mention it. I have uh, <clears throat> submitted to various because I had, uh, in my case, I had local law enforcement, uh, two agencies, uh, plus Army CID involved. Uh, with three agencies, I've submitted evidence or information, I should say, that I have collected that, that was never obtained by them. It was available at the time, but was, people weren't interviewed and so forth. Right. And I am convinced, after doing follow-up phone calls to the to the places I've sent the information, that because I would ask a question about one of the documents, and it was kind of a duh. I'm right. convinced they never read it. They, right. I don't know where it goes, you know, uh, <laughs> but nobody apparently even bothers to read it because it's not their thing. They didn't develop it. It, it could cause problems if they do read it, that they might right. have to do something. So uh, it, it's just maddening. But uh, you're right. And I, you know, you, you send this stuff uh, to them. And you have no idea if they ever act on it. Uh, right. If they don't, why not? It's just like somebody said a minute ago, a travesty. 
Right. But maybe, you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe in perhaps in Teresa's case, they're waiting for that man to come forward again uh, and contact them again with his statement. And then maybe they'll act on it. I don't know. But I guess that would be up for that, for, you know, up to that person to to come forward again and make the statement again. Well, Jerry, this is very important. I, I and I, I don't want to uh, miss the opportunity to say this. Uh, later on, um, your situation, I would like you, if you would, to do a follow-up show. It doesn't have to be a, an hour. It could be a half hour. It could be whatever. But when you get information back from your appeal or appeals and so forth um, to discuss what happens what they tell you, and if, if you do happen in the meantime also to get set up with a, you know, a meeting with the DA's office and all that. Yeah. But I'd like to do an update show. And, of okay. course, we won't know for sure when to do it. We'll have to wait until we see when you get a response. Okay. Uh, but it seems to me you won't, because they do send you this stuff, but we aren't going to do it, and then they cite a bunch of case law. Correct. Uh, you almost have to be able to hire a lawyer or be <laughs> a lawyer be a or lawyer. paralegal or something <laughs> yourself. Yeah, because otherwise, uh, you know, how do you know uh, uh, exactly what these cases mean? Uh, right. And like you say, why are they citing this botched autopsy thing where they autopsied the wrong person? But uh, I suggested from a local case in New York I was looking at uh, when you ask the police or if the DA's office is the you know the hub for, for where you have to direct your questions but if you're trying to get information and in the case I'm talking about it was a police agency and the police agency says up oh, can't give it to you it's an open case Right. Well, it wasn't as old as sisters, but it was it was cold. It had been cold for years. And they're saying they can't release the information because it's an open case, but it's open but inactive. Nobody's doing anything with it. Right. You know, it's, it's, so, you know, why not share at least certain information? If it had to be reasonably redacted, I'm not saying just a bunch of blacked out pages, but, you know, if a name or an address or something had to be redacted, okay. But release something and now the, the this one case also smacks of some type of cover-up you're asking the agency that may have done the cover-up to review their file and decide what you can see and not see uh, right right so, catch, catch uh, you know, how is that fair <laughs> so right. i suggested i said why don't you I told the young lady who's trying to get the information, I said, why don't you see if there's some way approach a, you know, a state legislator or whatever and say, in a case like this, why not have a tribunal or even an individual not associated with the police department, not answerable to the police agency, uh, could be maybe a, a a judge from a neighboring county or something, but somebody somebody with credibility to examine that file 
or examine at least the records that are being sought and then make a decision, not the agency that might be trying to conceal something, but an independent, I would like a tribunal, but an independent person at least with credibility to go over the file and say, okay, you don't have to release the name of the suspect. You can black that, you can redact that. But the rest of this stuff, there's no reason that this can't be released to the requester. Right. I or, mean, my hope was with, no, the, with the, the... Oh, go. You can't. Yeah. So, but yeah. I don't... But I, I just think you got to have somebody else involved in this I that agree. would not be part of a cover-up. Right. Or, you know, you, you're talking also just like an independent, an independent party that... Can you know it would be reassurance for a family to say, okay, this independent person is looking at this case file, and if that person is telling you, okay, everything's on the up and up, that 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 could be more satisfying. My hope is by going through the second appeal, that I will have somebody, you know, objective looking at it, hoping. But again, it's a state agency, and what I found is when you when you mentioned something about you almost have to be a lawyer. Uh, or hire a lawyer. I've, I've looked into hiring lawyers, and I made a mistake of, of like looking at a, a law office. I sent a request and come to find out he worked for the, the Norfolk County DA at one point. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that wasn't going to go well. And then the very first time I tried hiring a lawyer, um, you know, he, he was quite nice, listened to me, um, wanted to try to help, but then he played golf with Another ADA, you know, he, he had been a former ADA himself and had played golf with that ADA from the Norfolk County District Attorney's Office. So it's a small world amongst lawyers. And, it, yeah. and, it, and at that point, I just was looking for somebody to, to translate the language for me. And that's all, all I wanted, somebody to translate. And that didn't happen. Because the ties are the ties are all around. Uh, the the more people I talk with, and including you, Jerry, that the more convinced I am. I need or somebody needs to talk. I, I mentioned earlier these uh, advocates that uh, that might be able to give you some assistance. They they sometimes right. can act as an intermediary between the the family and the police agent, especially if there's a stressful relationship that's developed uh, uh, between the parties. But I think uh, I want to make throw the suggestion out to to the uh, these organizations that if if they could find a lawyer or maybe even a par you know a paralegal somebody with credentials to do pro bono reviews of, right. uh, of wordings, you know what I mean? Like the law, if you could send um, the letter you got or the email you got or whatever, denying your request where it cites this case law, uh, get somebody to, to do just what you wanted to, uh, right. to decipher what is said and come up with a layman's terms. This is what it means. Uh, you know, that's probably a worthwhile cause, I think, and 
somewhere out there there's got to be a person or persons or several persons that would be willing to you know not appear in court or anything but it, but at least to take a look at um some of the legal language that 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 people are uh, hit with in these responses and try to let the requester say look here's here's what this means here's where you stand and uh you know they were right on point or or no this really doesn't apply to your request but something like that um uh, i I think it would prevent headaches for both sides exactly what do you think delilah do you think that's a worthwhile effort Absolutely. Absolutely. I think any effort we can make is going to be worthwhile somewhere along the line. Yeah, because it's, it's something's something's got to be done. And one of the problems that I've encountered, I'm going to try and do a little research on the different states that regarding their FOIA laws. And it, it's not FOIA in every state. Some are the open records laws or the sunshine laws or whatever, but whatever the law is in that state regarding the release of information, uh, they're all different. Right. You know, I mean, if you were just dealing like with the feds, for example, you can say, okay, we only got, here's the law. But well, when you're dealing with 50 different states plus the feds, uh, Everybody's got little different wording, and one thing I found that uh, I'm I'm very impressed with is Illinois, and they their attorney general now this open case uh, exemption that a lot of the police agencies claim. Uh, their attorney general when there's a FOIA request is not accepting a a refusal to release simply because it's an open case. They are requiring the agency, the police agency to make a clear and convincing argument as to why the release of the information would be detrimental that, and uh, I think that's a great thing. It, it's not a, a cure-all, but it's at least, I think, a good first step in giving the uh, the survivors uh, a shot at finding out why it is, you know, the, not just it's an open case, but right, it's right. an open case, and here's what releasing this information would do to harm it. and. Right. Uh, the one example, apparently, that, that I found was that uh, a, a requester for records request had been denied under FOIA. And the AG, after looking at it, says that is not uh, a valid reason to withhold the information. It must be released. So when I see something like that, it gives me a little hope that maybe, uh, you know, something can be done eventually if you get the right. Uh, if you get the right person's ear, uh, right. you know, to maybe get something accomplished. I mean, I have contacted um, a couple of my legislators uh, with that that hope of having uh, something at least added to the um, Massachusetts Office of Victim Assistance, maybe another advocate that really can deal with these cases of, of murder victims uh, in their families. 
there, there's nothing that I have found in the state of Massachusetts as yet. So but, it's, I think it's hopefully, you know, I may be putting a lot of trust in, in the legislators, but they hopefully will come up with something for families like mine. What I what I'm going to do one of the we're going to do a show tomorrow about wrongful death lawsuits and, and one of the panelists on uh, on that was instrumental in getting legislation passed in Illinois uh-huh. uh, to help the victims and what uh, what I'm going to have him on uh, a, a second show solo just to talk about what he did the legislative effort and how he did it, and maybe there's some way we could use that uh, as a uh, a model, if you will, right. uh, to, to try to do things in other states. Uh, you know, because once once the uh, once there's been a positive action like that, hopefully we could figure out a way. To uh, to use that in other states to to try to get some action uh, because the laws they pass there the the legislation seems just like good common sense stuff you know what I right. mean it's it's just makes sense and I I fear that anybody in a situation such as yours and the the hundreds that I know of and I don't know how many nationwide there are that that actually are in such a situation because in the overall scheme of things, there are thankfully, you know, a small minority when you look at the overall population. Um, and I'm wondering because of that, because of being scattered in all the States, there's not enough uh, clout as far as a voting block, right. you know, to, to, to go to legislatures and, and say there are, a hundred thousand of us, uh, you know, that support this or whatever, um, where you could really get their attention if it's. So what? One what also contributes? Yeah, but what it contributes, I was just going to say, is what I have found in the last three years. It's individual families trying to all put forth their own efforts, rather than trying to get the group together to put forth an effort. Uh, I've been to several other, you know, you know, different events in, involving families of murder victims, and it seems everybody is trying to go in their own direction for this one state, and that just, you know, can't be. It, it, it would be hopeful that the families could come together, and then the legislature, you know, legislators would come together as well. Um, yeah. So, do you think if you could get, like you said, if you, if there was an organization, I guess is what we're talking about, if right. if the families would unite in a common cause, then I think you could get some media attention. And brother, right. if you start getting stories in the on the TV and in the newspapers and so forth about, and and let's face it, people in 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 the situation that we're discussing, your situation and others, are victims. Right. You know, they were victimized by the loss of their loved one to begin with, and now they're victimized again by the system. Right. And I, I think if you're right, if if there could be uh, some type of organization where instead of everybody 
fighting their individual battle if they could join up and, uh, and and agree on what they want to do and then put that forward. I, I think it could really take off. It's the kind of thing that could get a lot of attention. Right. What do you think, Delilah, about that from the publicity angle? Well, yeah, obviously from that angle, a group is going – just like a class action lawsuit – you know, the more people you have involved in a common cause, the louder the noise can be made and more progress can be made just by banging down the walls when you have to. Um, and, and Jerry's right. So many families are outgoing in so many different directions. If they could be collected somehow and know that there's a common goal here, I think a lot more progress might be made within the justice system. I I don't know. Our justice system right now is just so broken in so many ways. I, you know, it almost like we need to start from scratch, especially, especially for victims. I think in my opinion, from what I've seen, you know, criminals obviously have more rights than victims do out there. And, And the other thing is that victims, Surviving victims of a crime don't understand or don't even know about what is available to them. And that seems to be problematic as well. And and don't even know where to look. And nobody is is offering the information to them. And that's what it is. The information isn't forthcoming to us. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. You would think I have an advocate. I have an advocate, supposedly, you would think that that information, I shouldn't be having to be knocking on her door. You know, I, for me, an advocate will come to me and say, okay, Jerry, well, this, this, and this is going on, yes. and this is what you have to do next. This is where you would have yes. to look for your information. That doesn't happen. And it, and exactly. In an ideal situation, that's the way it would be, and that's the way I think right. we trust that it works, and it doesn't. Right. In order it's, to be it's effective, like, it's got to be a strong advocate. Right. Absolutely. And how can, and how can to be you know what questions? For, right. You don't know what questions to ask because when I when I actually brought up the fact that I don't understand what the statutes mean, well, I, and the response, oh, I have a lot of families in that situation. Well, that shouldn't be. And that's if, if, no answer. That's no answer. That's no answer. You know, and then the answer was, well, let me see if I can get a conference call with, you know, our legal representative with you. All right, that was a partial answer, but I haven't heard back. <laughs> so right. you don't get your answers, and that's the frustrating no. part. And, and you know, and I want to understand the process. I do want to understand it because I don't want to jeopardize the process. But when you have no trust in the process, then you do start to go off in different directions and, and jeopardize it. Exactly, you know? and I think I think that's. Of course, there are so many other families in the same situation that you're right. in fear, in fear of stepping on the wrong toes, Correct. and you know, in fear of moving forward in this direction because you might jeopardize something or or throw right. everything to the wind and and have nothing and to speak of at the end. Um, right. and, and it is very frustrating, but after 40 years, it shouldn't <laughs> be that way for it you. It shouldn't be that way. Right. Shouldn't be that way because also on the outskirts is I have private investigators that are willing to look at this case pro bono, willing to take it forward. And that's not being allowed after 40 years. 
at some point, I think there needs to be a cutoff for the state to say there's nothing more we can do with this case. Here you go. I agree. And, and that just doesn't happen. You know, that, that, that has not happened. So. I Can you hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got dropped there. Uh, I was starting to say, Jerry, that, that before I got cut off the last thing, I heard you were talking about the advocate. And I wanted to comment that I agree wholeheartedly. The advocate uh, should not be someone you have to chase. Right. Uh, they should. You should be knocking on your door, ringing your telephone, uh, not the other way around. So what I want to do, uh, as soon, Jerry, as you hear something regarding your appeals, please let us know, and we'll reschedule you or schedule you for another follow-up. Sure. And, we'll and I talk have to say, MuckRock was a good good um, site because it, it it did actually give you a form letter to send, so you know what to say. So I, I find that helpful, and maybe other people will use them too. So yes, that's an excellent and, idea. Yeah. I've forgotten all about yeah. MuckRock. Yeah, no, and they they um, you know they tell you the next step in a way, you know, and they they offer to file the appeal for you, and so I I, th- I thought it was very instrumental actually. And it's my understanding, Good. Jenny, the Transparency Project is partnering with Muckrock? Yes, is that we've right? been approved, and we are now active on the Muckrock site. Good. Great. So I'm waiting to talk to one of their editors to see what else we can do, you know, how we can en- enhance our visibility. But uh, we did we did get approved, and we are live in there. Good. And the other thing I will do, Jerry, is I'm going to uh, I'll send you an email with a couple of the uh, organizations that I think would be worth your while to touch base with. Okay. Uh, as as far as possibly uh, at the minimum uh, acting as an intermediary with uh, your dealings with the agencies. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. I shall do that. Um Unfortunately, we're out of time here. We're going to have to wrap it up. Jerry, thanks so much for sharing Teresa's story with us and your story, your efforts to to try to get to uh, some resolution to her case. And uh, God bless you for for hanging in there the way you have. I thank you for your efforts. No, I thank you all for yours. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And our next broadcast, will be tomorrow, April 18th, when we'll do a panel discussion of wrongful death lawsuits. Thanks, everybody, and uh, hopefully you can join us tomorrow and stay safe. Mm-hmm.